Good morning, Sanctus Church. Today we're continuing our fully devoted series. Last week, Pastor John shared with us four key words that describe and provide clarity about who we are as Sanctus Church. These were the promise, the mark, the picture, and the flavor. And these words communicate what God has promised to us and who we are and how we're to function as a community. Well, today I'm going to talk about who is the church and how we are to share the work together. So before we begin, let us pray. God, we thank you for your love for us. And in your love, you provided us this community known as the church. And Lord, as your body, we seek to serve you and to serve the people you've called us. And Lord, as we prepare to share the work that you have called us, that we partner with you in the fulfillment of our mission and vision. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've been fortunate to grow up uh, and attend church all my life, and in that I've been in different churches and, and denominations, both as a congregant and as a pastor. I think I've been in um, about seven different denominations in throughout my ministry and life, and so, you know, church has been a very important part of my story. It's actually a story of convergence. I've seen the good and the bad side of church life, and so Regardless of its circumstances, I still believe that the church is beautiful because it is the body of Christ. And so I still believe that the church is called by God to influence and change and impact the world in Christ. However, not everyone sees this as part of the church. Um, people have had bad experiences, negative stigmas, uh, hurts, and offenses in their experience with church, and some have hindered them from attending and even being part of a community. You know, here's a funny story I'd like to share about how sometimes divided we are as a church. There were two people, Robert and James, and so they got acquainted with each other, and they were asking certain questions, and Robert asked the question to James, do you believe in God? And James said, yes. Robert said, are you a Christian or not? And James said, a Christian. Robert said, me too. Are you a Protestant or Catholic? And James said, I'm a Protestant. And Robert said, me too. Are you Northern Baptist or are you Southern Baptist? And James said, Northern Baptist. And then Robert said, me too. Are you Northern Conservative Baptist or are you Northern Liberal Baptist? And James said, well, I'm Northern Conservative Baptist. And Robert said, me too. Are you Northern Conservative um, Baptist Great Lakes region or are you Northern Conservative Baptist Eastern region? And, Rob, and James said, Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region. And Robert said, me too. And then he said, are you Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region council of 1879 or are you Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes region council of 1912? And James said, I'm Northern Conservative Baptist Great Lakes Region Council of 1912. And J Robert replied and said, you heretic, I'm leaving. And so it's funny you may chuckle at it, but it's actually the uh, sad essence of how divided we are as a church. It's unfortunate that the word church conjures these images and, and feelings in our lives because of what we've experienced or because of culture. We see today church attendance is declining, participation in church is decreasing, and most people in culture have a, a um, you know, hesitation or resistance to the idea of church. And on top of it, a global pandemic hasn't helped. So where do we gain these images of what church is like? Where do people get ideas about church? Well, I'd like to highlight five areas. First is, Past experiences create images of church. Some people say they hate the church because they've had bad experiences. Offenses, hurts, abuses caused by pastors, ministry leaders, and other church members have caused them to uh, be avert to 
the idea of church, or they've disliked the direction of the church, or not feeling fulfilled, or getting much from the church. So in the, in the end, in their frustration, or in their hurt or disappointment, they leave the church. Second is pop culture. Movies and television shows portray uh, different images of church that the general public capture and think that this is what church is like. Some of you may know one of the most popular um, long-standing TV shows, The Simpsons. And maybe you've watched it and you know in The Simpsons there is the first church of Springfield and there is a hypocritical pastor, Reverend Timothy Lovejoy. And when you watch it, you see the things he does, not always in line with what Scripture says, may create images for the general public. Well, this is how pastors behave or this is what church is like. And so pop culture creates an image. We are, the third is from the news. News reports often cover the negative experiences of church, scandals from prominent pastors, fraud, corruption, sexual abuses. So we hear that in the news and an image of church is formed. The fourth is projection of personal needs and preferences. We see often church as a place to meet my needs and preferences and then project that onto our expectations as we attend a church. For example, if we expect church to be a place where our kids become better people, trained and taken care of, and then if the church doesn't do that, we may get frustrated, upset, and decide to leave a church. And so we have to be careful that we don't take our personal needs and project it onto what we think church should be. And the fifth area is drawing analogies or comparisons from other institutions. For example, we may see church like a concert when we experience worship, or we see church like a school as a place to come and learn, or we see church like a social club that we just come to get to know people and have friends, or we, search, we see church like a store where we come to consume and, and purchase or uh, have things, or we see church like a hospital where uh, people find healing and recovery. Now, while some of the elements of these institutions may reflect what a church is, it's not the sum total, it's not completely the same or reflective of what church is all about. The church is not just an institution, it's a community, a movement of people announcing that Jesus is king and living in anticipation of his kingdom coming. The church is compared to the body of Christ. The church is invisible universally, made of people from all nations around the world, both dead and living. The church is visible locally in a local church like here at Sanctus. So what is the purpose of the church? What is the church to do and be? According to one survey, they asked, why does the church exist? And 89% of the people said, the church's purpose is to take care of my families and my needs. So let me ask you a question. Is that a healthy view of what church is? I don't think so. Today, I'd like to look at three questions or three statements. Who is the church? How should we function? And what should we do? We understand these through three words, identity, community, and third is cause or mission. So let's look at the first, identity. The church invariably gets defined by what it does or what it ought to be doing. But with God, identity precedes activity. Adam and Eve were created in God's image before they were given a vocation. So we need to ask who church is, not what church is, who church is. Before we can begin to properly wrestle with this question, we need to zoom all the way out and ask the question, who is Jesus? How we think about Jesus and the salvation he provides and offers to us affects the way we think about church and its mission. So in theological terms, it would be 
our Christology shapes our soteriology. Our soteriology shapes our ecclesiology, and our ecclesiology shapes our missiology. So these questions are, who is Jesus, our Christology? What is salvation, our soteriology? Who is the church, ecclesiology? And what is mission, missiology? The book of Acts is the fifth book of the New Testament, and it tells about the founding of the Christian church and its spreading through the Roman Empire. The book of Acts outlines the origin, the function, and the impact of the early church. And so this is what we see in the book of Acts regarding Jesus, salvation, the church, and mission. Jesus. Jesus is the Lord and Christ, as we read in Acts 2, 36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both the Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And so this is very important because it's not untrue to call Jesus our personal Lord and Savior. The triune God is deeply personal. But the lordship and kingship of Christ is not, as Leslie Newbegin reminds us, a private opinion, but rather a public truth. The rulers of Rome wouldn't have mind if the disciples were preaching about Jesus as being the personal Lord and Savior of people and living personally in their hearts and lives. That wasn't their problem. No, Herod and Caesar and all the other rulers, the powers trembled and were troubled because these Christians were announcing that Jesus is the true Lord and King of the cosmos. Jesus is King. And so we often don't realize when we say the word Lord in the Greco-Roman world, the word Lord in Greek is kurios, which implies being a ruler or king. And this is why the powers of be at that time tremble because the Christians were saying Jesus is the king. He is the Lord, the ruler of the whole world. And so the power structures of those times trembled and didn't like the Christian message. And so emperors, kings, political leaders, they were deified and considered to be gods towards the people. We read that in Acts 12, 21 and 22. So as the Christians were proclaiming Jesus as Lord, it was a political statement that challenged the rulers and kings of their time, which ultimately brought a lot of persecution upon them. That is why Paul writes in Philippians 2, verse 9 11, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, and in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus is Lord or Jesus is King to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus as Lord of Lords and King of Kings was a political stance that would change the ancient world. So to proclaim Jesus as Lord was to claim that he was coming soon, to take possessions over the nations and to rule over them. You see, for the early church, the resurrection and the ascension was not Jesus going home, but Jesus being enthroned. The New Testament regularly speaks about the death and resurrection as the defeat of the powers of evil that have kept the world in captivity and the implication that the world was going to change as a result of the life and the death of Jesus Christ. And so that the powers of darkness would tremble when the good news was proclaimed. Now, if you want to know more about it, we've mentioned last week that Pastor John uh, has written a new book called Deliverance. It's a great resource providing for us an understanding how Jesus defeated the powers of evil and has given us the possibility of freedom and deliverance from the powers of darkness. And so... As we see Jesus as King and Lord, He provides a second thing, is salvation. 
What is salvation? It's God working in his world to redeem and restore all things. Acts 3 verse 21 says, Until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. You see, salvation is much more than just the forgiveness of sins. It is the setting right of all that is broken in the world. At the heart of what is broken is us as human beings, that we have been fractured and disfigured and broken, and we need to be set right with God. And so it is through the forgiveness of sins that the process of healing and restoration of our brokenness begins. Brokenness is restored, and we're continually experiencing healing, deliverance, and character formation. And a relationship with Jesus produces this spiritual formation and transformation. The forgiveness of sins is just the beginning of the story. God wants to forgive us and redeem us and renew us and restore us and heal us from our brokenness that was caused by sin so that we can be fulfilled the designed goal of being image bearers or ambassadors of Christ to the world, reflecting God's love and rule towards this world. Do you know the Greek word for salvation is sozo? It's more than just forgiveness of sins. It's a holistic word that incorporates forgiveness, healing, redemption, deliverance, and restoration of our entire being. And so God wants to restore humanity, and He's working through us and through us for all of creation. And the third is the church. The church is the kingdom community formed by the Spirit, living now as is that will be one day in the new creation. Acts 2, verse 42, it says, And they, the disciples, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. You see, the church becomes not just a collection of individuals, but a new community. One family, one body, made of diverse parts, who are not members together of an organization, but who are members together of one another. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 27 says, For in one spirit we have been baptized into one body. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. You see, the church is not united by a common purpose, but by a common identity. We have been marked as the people of God, the family of God. We are sons and daughters, not orphans or slaves. You see, the New Testament's favorite image of the church is the household or the family. This new community is to learn to live as a family, to love, to care, to provide for each other. But like with any family, as we all know, the church is messy and the church has dysfunctions and we live with the messiness and dysfunctions like all families do. And yet as we live our our Christian life in a community, we are pointing the world to what God's future reality will be like in his new creation. I'd like to just share a little example. I don't know if you've visited. I know I've had a, an opportunity to visit the huge redwood trees in California, and they're amazing to witness, to experience, to see these massive, large trees. They're considered the largest living things on earth, the tallest trees. Some of them are over 300 feet high, some of them living, you know, 2,500 years old. Now, you would think that these trees that are so large would have a tremendous root system reaching down hundreds of feet into the earth, but that's not the case. The redwood trees have a very shallow root system. The roots, rather, are intertwined with each other. And so they are tied and interlocked with each other. So when the storms and the winds come, they don't fall because they're interconnected. 
So with an interlocking root system, they support and sustain each other, and they need one another to survive. This is a beautiful picture of what church is like and how we live as a community. We are intertwined with each other. We're interconnected with each other that we support each other. You see, anyone can love the ideal church. The challenge is to love the real church. Fellowship in the New Testament sense is an inner unity expressed outwardly. It's not just being together, but doing together. It's not just doing anything together. It's working together to accomplish God's will. Ephesians 4.16 says, with, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, hear that, when each part is working properly, makes the body to grow so that it builds up in love. So the church, as we fit and work together, are growing and in Christ's love. And the church is a sign of the kingdom. You see, we who function and live together as a church community live now as if Jesus is king now, whose very love for one another point to the future when Jesus will have all rule and all his kingdom will be on earth as it is in heaven. And this radically new worldview was a considerable threat to the existing power structures of the early church. The fourth thing is mission. The mission is to announce Christ as king here and now and anticipate his kingdom. Acts 28, 31, he, Paul, proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Acts 8, verse 12, it talks about how Philip went preaching the good news about the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized men and women alike. So when we announce Christ as king, we are preaching the gospel. We live in the anticipation of his kingdom arriving in its fullness. We are beginning to live now as it will be then. By living now as Jesus' disciples, the good news, the gospel, is both seen and heard by the world. And so when we function as a healthy community, a healthy body of fully devoted followers or disciples of Christ, we point to and we prepare for God's ultimate kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. And you know, we see visible examples of what God's future kingdom will be like when we see people are healed, when we see people forgiven, when people are delivered, when relationships are restored, when marriages thrive, when the hungry are fed, when people are cared for, when justice adjudicated, we see these evidences of what God's future kingdom will be like. So the question for us here today as a community is, why does Sanctus Church exist? Why do we do what we do? The answer is simple and it's summarized in our mission statement to glorify God by enabling people of all ages to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. What do you mean by fully devoted followers? Pastor John often quotes uh, from Ray Vandalon, and it says, he quotes and he says, like other rabbis of his day, Jesus had disciples. The disciples' deepest desire was to follow their rabbi so closely that they would start to think and act like them. A disciple followed the rabbi everywhere, often without knowing or asking where he was going. He rarely left his, disciple, his rabbi's side for fear that he would miss the teachable moment. So if we're going to be fully devoted followers of Jesus and act and think like him, where can we find Jesus to know him, to hear from him, and be continually transformed into his image? Are there guaranteed encounters, places of encounters for us to experience Jesus now? 
Well, it's often shared here at Sanctus that there are eight guaranteed places of encounter. The first is the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Second, the scriptures, the written word of God. Third is spiritual disciplines. These are holy habits that we can practice in form. Simplicity, confession of sin, prayer, fasting, service, solitude, silence, and study. The fourth, spiritual gifts. Now, you know, we, not everyone's going to have all 21 uh, spiritual gifts, but we're given different gifts to, for all of us to serve. Fifth, gathered worship, where we gather together to sing, to pray, to worship, to enter into God's holy presence. Sixth, communion, the Lord's table, where we take the elements together to remember the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus and experience his forgiveness. Seventh, water baptism is this public declaration of faith in Jesus where we make vows to follow Jesus. And eighth, suffering for the gospel's sake. It's in these moments of suffering that we experience the power of resurrection. And so I hope you and I are regularly experiencing transformation from these different places of encounter. And these places of encounter are visible for us in our five discipleship dimensions. And so we use five phrases here to describe how we become fully devoted followers of Jesus. And they are celebrate big, connect small, walk with Jesus, share the work, and engage in mission. And so I want to just quickly unpack these five for us to understand. First is celebrate big. We believe in celebrating God together. We see that the early church in, in their movement as Christians met regularly, even in temples where they would have numbers of 3,000 or 5,000 as recorded in Acts. Like the early church, we rally, we love, we care, we're drawn together to preaching and teaching and worship and prayer and giving and communion together. And so I know in this COVID season, for some celebrating big and gathering physically may be challenging for various reasons. We're encouraged in Hebrews 10, 25 to not neglect our meeting together as some do, but encourage one another, especially now as the day of his return is drawing nigh. So if you are comfortable in gathering together in person, we would love to see you in person. If you're not ready to return, we understand but we're so fortunate for our technology and ability to gather even online in our online site that we can gather as a community to worship Jesus. The second is Connect Small. Acts 2.46 says, Every day the disciples continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in homes and ate together with gladness and sincere hearts. They were doing life together. They were eating, sharing, helping, having close relationships one with another. And that's true for us here at Sanctus. We believe in connecting small, just as it's important to celebrate big. The primary place where we connect small is connect groups. And connecting small is about authentic relationships, unpacking our relationship with each other and with Jesus. This is where we experience community, care, and accountability. You know, we just launched group launch last week. And so if you haven't connected to a group yet, I encourage you to get online and sign up. And Pastor Ange would love to help you to connect small. Connect Small uh, happens here primarily through connect groups, Alpha, and Freedom Sessions. And we just heard two weeks ago about how Alpha is launching in, even in this season and the impact that Alpha has to create space for people to uh, dialogue and discuss some of life's hardest questions that would point people to know who Jesus is. So I want to encourage you today to connect small. The third is to walk with Jesus. Sanctus Church can provide uh, connect groups, teaching, worship, serving opportunities, but we cannot force anyone to spend quality time with Jesus. We all have to take personal responsibility in our walk with Jesus. 
We believe that spiritual disciplines like reading scripture, prayer, meditation, silence, and solitude will help you develop a very close and intimate relationship with Christ. So when you regularly walk with Jesus, it may not be moments of fire from heaven every single day, but it's in those moments where you prioritize time in your day or in your week to spend time with Jesus that we get to know how Jesus shows up in our lives and changes us in small and in big ways. The fourth thing is sharing the word. We believe that God has uniquely given every Christian spiritual gifts that helps advance the kingdom of God. And since these are spirit-given, you and I will likely experience immense joy from using them. Burnout rates will drop and you'll see more power behind your actions because they're spirit-driven. Now, in order for a church to function as a community, we all need the indwelling presence and power of the Holy Spirit to work through us and in us, uniting us, empowering us with gifts and abilities, and giving us boldness to reach out in mission. We see that happening in, in the book of Acts on the day of Pentecost, how we see the empowering of the church and how they were empowered to go out to reach new people, to go to new places, and also to have new boldness with power. I'd like to just share a little uh, demonstration to illustrate how we can share the work through the power of the Holy Spirit. I have here with me different types of gloves. And so, as you can see, different shapes, sizes, colors. And this kind of talks about how we as a community are all different. Different backgrounds, nationalities, personalities, gift mix, and talents. And we're all different. But the purpose of this glove is to lift this Bible. So this is the demonstration. Can any of these gloves lift this Bible? So let's try. We may think, as with these gloves, I'm going to offer some encouragement and inspiration. So I'm going to say to these gloves, I'm going to spark, you can do it. You can lift this, this Bible. Gloves are not moving for that. Maybe we may think just by training and teaching, I'm going to train, okay, glove, you need to move like this, and you lift here, and that's how you carry it. And so I've trained these gloves and told them how to do it. Nothing is happening. Maybe they just need fellowship. They just need to hang out together. In all their multicultural diversity and differences, they just need to interact. Maybe spending time together will help them to lift. Well, I don't see that happening. Or they just need to make a commitment. They just need to be redirected in their purpose and said, Gloves, you got to make a commitment. You got to understand your purpose is to lift this Bible. And so after encouraging and training and fellowship and making commitments, these gloves don't seem to do anything. The gloves were designed for work, but they're not fulfilling their purpose. And only and only if, a hand goes in the glove. Can this glove fulfill its purpose? And now the glove is able to lift the Bible. And this is a demonstration to show that you and I, as these gloves, all unique and different, without the empowering power of the Holy Spirit in this hand going in the glove, that we who have God's Spirit in us, working in us and through us to be empowered. We cannot live and function without God's Spirit working in us and through us. You see, talent and training and experience can never take place, replace the power and experience of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And that is how we can fulfill God's mission and purpose, is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit working through us, we're just a gathering of people. The Holy Spirit gives us identity because we are adopted as His children by His Spirit, sons and daughters. The Holy Spirit unites us together as a family, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to mission. So when we're working in our spiritual gifting, 
People will be in awe of how we work together in unity. And this avoids the temptation of comparison uh, with one with another. I don't have to be you. You don't have to be me. We get to joyfully serve in what God has assigned each of us with. So sharing the work is not independence or dependence. It's interdependence. Understanding how the Holy Spirit is working in us and has uniquely equipped us with unique gifts to share the work together. And finally, engage in mission. This is the immense generosity outlined in the life of Jesus and the first description of the early church. They were called to take the gospel to their families, workplaces, neighborhoods. And we are called to give of our time, our talents, and our treasure or our money to invest in things that last, that things that are eternal. Generosity is always a mark of, as a follower of Jesus. And beyond just giving regularly to the local church, which here at Sanctus, we've established even local and global partnerships to reach towards God's mission in this world. And so by engaging in mission, you begin to interact and love people you've never loved before, people you've never known before. And Jesus has told us as disciples to go to all the nations. And so this morning, we understand and realize we are to celebrate big, connect small, walk with Jesus, share the work, and engage in mission. As I close, I'd like to share a story of impact of one person whose actions may have seemed insignificant in the moment, but led to a larger and greater impact that he never imagined. And the young man's name is Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was determined to win his Sunday school class to Christ. A teenager named Dwight Moody tended to fall asleep in his Sundays, uh, Sundays but Kimball undeterred to set out to reach him at his workplace. And so Edward, with his heart pounding, entered into the store where the young man worked. And he came and he, he put his hand on his shoulder and leaned over with his foot on the shoebox. And he asked uh, Moody to come to Christ. Now, Kimball left thinking he botched the job. Moody, however, left the store that day a new person. He actually became one of the prominent evangelists in America. Then on June 17, 1873, D.L. Moody arrived in Liverpool, England for a series of crusades. The meetings went poorly at first, but then the dam burst and the blessings flowed, and Moody visited a Baptist chapel pastored by a scholarly man named F.B. Meyer. Meyer was soon transfixed and transformed by Moody's message. At Moody's invitation, Meyer toured America. At Northfield Bible Conference, he challenged the crowd, saying, if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? The remark changed the life of a struggling young minister named J. Wilbert Chapman. Chapman proceeded to become a powerful traveling evangelist in the early 1900s, and he recruited a converted baseball player named Billy Sunday. Under Chapman's eye, Sunday became one of the most spectacular evangelists in American history. And his campaigns in Charlotte, North Carolina, produced a group of converts who continued praying for one another for a visitation of the Holy Spirit. And in 1934, they invited an evangelist named Mordecai Ham to conduct a citywide crusade. And October 8th, Ham, discouraged, wrote a prayer to God on the stationery of his Charlotte Hotel. And it said this, Lord, give us Pentecost here. Pour out thy spirit tomorrow. His prayer was answered beyond his dreams when a central high school student named Billy Graham gave his heart to Jesus. And Billy Graham, as some of you may know, was probably one of the greatest evangelists, and some accounts have him sharing the gospel to over 210 million people in 185 countries. And Edward Kimball thought he botched the job. 
You see, Edward Kimball's story reminds us to never underestimate the influence you can have on the world by sharing the gospel even with just one person. One person had a chain of events that dramatically changed and helped the course of human history and the gospel being spread. Sometimes we question our impact, our influence, and even wonder if we're doing anything for God and if what we're doing is worth it, if what I'm doing in ministry is worth it. Well, friends, I want to encourage you that your influence, even on one person, it could be that one child in in kids ministry or in youth or in young adults or in, in care ministry or prayer ministry or even in connect group, that one person like Edward Kimball can have a profound impact. So I want to leave with us as a church two challenges for this, two minist- for this ministry. I hope you take these two challenges to heart and, and, and do it for this ministry. The first is pray that God would guide you to at least one person to share the gospel. Just one person. Pray that you would help lead someone to know Jesus this year. Be intentional, be prayerful, be active. And here's, an, here's something to think about. If each one of us brought one person to Jesus and brought them to church, our church would literally double overnight. So pray and see who you can lead and maybe bring them to an alpha and help them to discover who Jesus is. The second is, the second challenge I want to propose for all of us here is, will you commit to serving in at least one ministry at Sanctus this ministry year? Serving physically or even virtually. I know some who have yet to connect physically. There's opportunities to serve virtually, to help our virtual, our online site. And so would you consider, would you consider serving in one ministry, at least one this ministry year. And so we've sent out an email last Wednesday, and we hope to send one out again this Wednesday, giving you an opportunity to express what ministry you would like to serve in. So why don't you pray and ask God to guide you in either serving if you've never served before here at Sanctus. Second, re-engaging in a ministry that you were serving in prior to the pandemic. Or, possibly thirdly, trying a new ministry that you've never tried before. Pray that God would use you just like Edward Kimball to make an internal impact on the world. Are you willing today? You see, your willingness to serve God is as important as your service to God. So whether you're at home or work or school or in your local communities, pray that God would open conversations, open doors to people who are needing Jesus with your friends and family and co-workers, or even a stranger? Would you consider inviting someone to Alpha? And like Edward Kimball, would you seek to serve in your local church, which is Sanctus? Someone once said, we don't serve God to gain acceptance. We are accepted, so we serve God. We don't follow him in order to be loved. We are loved, so we follow him. So I want to encourage all those serving in in Sanctus Kids and Youth and YA and Connect Group leaders and worship and prayer and care and missions and Alpha and guest services and online production, our site pastors and ministry leaders, administration, HR, IT, communications, our board, our staff, our leadership teams to continue to love Jesus and serve Him faithfully. To understand that our labor is not in vain, like Edward Kimball, Think about that one person that you can have a legacy and impact. All it takes for a generation to be formed and changed is having one person know Jesus. And so, as we close, would you consider these two action items? Praying that God would lead you to one person to know Jesus, to bring them to Jesus. And second, 
serving in one, at least one ministry this ministry year. Either something new, re-engaging, or something that you were doing even prior to the pandemic. As I conclude, there's a, a promise verse, something to encourage us from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Paul writes, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor is not in vain. And so, my friends and family and church, your labor is not in vain. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Give yourselves fully, fully devoted, fully to God's work. As we close, we'd like to pray. Um, if you feel comfortable, there's a prayer on the screen beside uh, here with me. And uh, would you just recite this prayer together uh, as we pray and close our service? Lord, our God, help us to walk with you on the pathway to be like you and to live out your mission in our world. Bind us together as a church so that we may bring the good news that Jesus is King to the ends of the earth. Open our hearts and our communities to the needy, the afflicted, the oppressed. May we radiate the living King and transform our lives in the hope of the resurrection. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.